welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harborough, for their continued support. So this week on Top Lines and Tales, we like to do things differently. And this is something different this week because I have a breeder who's from both sides of the Atlantic. And, uh, and that's quite rare. Uh, Robert Groom there. Robert, it's great to have you on the podcast. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Hopefully, uh, uh We'll, we'll strike up some interesting conversation here in the next little while. Yeah, and you've been, as I said, both sides of, of the Atlantic. I think you've been there around about 25 years. Well, we'll go back to sort of where you started and where you came from a little bit. Uh, you ran, I know you ran Angus here in the 80s. So where was home to you originally there, Robert? Well, I grew up on a dairy farm in Cheshire. Um, we, we dairied in, uh, in the Middlewich area till uh, 1985. Um, quotas kind of busted a lot of the small dairy farms and um, we didn't have enough quota, enough acres to really get bigger. And my father and I, I was 17 at the time, I really had no interest in milking cows for the rest of our lives. And so um, my dad and my mom had been looking for a place in, in Scotland for a few years and, and bid on a couple and didn't get them. And then in, uh, in the spring of 85, they managed to buy East Tully Fergus Farm uh, near Ailith, uh, Blagowrie in Perthshire. And uh, we moved there in the, in the spring of 85. I think it was about the coldest spring <laughs> they've been in years, followed by the wettest summer they had in years. And so, um, you know, I, uh, I didn't go to college. I left school in, in 84 and, and I went to work with my dad. And, um, you know, my dad never stopped me from going co- to college. And I, I, I just decided it wasn't for me. And, um, and so, you know, my dad said something to me early on and, he said, if you um, learn as much as I do in your lifetime farming and a little bit more, you'll be a better farmer than I am. And I thought at the time, being 16 years old and pretty cocky, well, I won't take very long. And uh, as time went on working with my dad, I, uh, I realized that, that the old guy was pretty smart and he never stopped learning. And, and the, the aspiration of, of to continue to be a learner all your life and uh, it just kind of stuck with me. And so um, I don't feel like I missed out. I think it, you know, it kind of set me up to, to try the things we tried over the years. That's brilliant. That's a lesson to us all, isn't it? That uh, you do never stop learning and you never should stop learning. Cause, um, right. And, and you started with Angus then, round about then? I knew you had a herd of Angus when you, by the time you left the shores. There. So when did the Angus get? That's right. So um, in, in, in the fall of... Uh, 87, the Rashi Hall herd was being dispersed in Perth. And uh, like most of my life, I had a very moderate budget. And a friend of my dad's had said, oh, you, you ought to get into Angus. They're, you know, they're making a comeback. You ought to get into Angus. So in the fall of, of 87, um, the Rashi Hall Angus herd was being dispersed in, in Perth. And a friend of my dad's had told me to, uh, uh, you know, I should get into Angus, it, you know, something of interest, something a little different, uh, something that was going to make a comeback should get into Angus. So I took my very mod- moderate budget to the sale and bought a very moderate in-calf heifer um, that carved about a week after the sale. And uh, that was basically the foundation of the Tully Fergus herd. It, um, you know, my family never had registered cattle. This is kind of the first first of doing the, you know, the pedigree thing. And... Um, you know, that, that sale, I, you know, the, the best cattle went to uh, another of your guests, uh, Ian Anderson at Rushmore. He bought uh, some of the cherry bees and that, and I bought a very unfashionable pride heifer. And um, 
but she lived a long time and actually she was alive until the summer we dispersed in 98 right. um and so uh, she, she she lived a long time and she left some some consequential descendants and uh, you know that was just kind of the start of getting into the registered cat and, and you added a few more after that yeah um uh, early on i i got to know neil massey a little bit and uh, i went over there to uh, blalac and uh, uh, bought a couple of cow calf pairs from him um you know and he, he sold them to me for very reasonable prices um uh, you know and I, I neil's a person i i i admire and respect greatly i i, I built a phenomenal herd there and uh and, and, and has been very consequential for a lot of people, I think, um, in the breed in the UK. Uh, and so, so yeah, we did that. And then in, in 89, I had the opportunity to uh, undertake a study tour in the United States. Um, most people were going to Canada to look at Angus genetics. And from all I'd read and, and, and learned, it, it seemed like the fountainhead of the genetics was in the USA. And I figured, well, that's where I want to go and, and see how it's being done. And so I, I took a, a three-month study tour in the summer of '89, uh, uh, and traveled coast, basically coast to coast, and stayed with different families, different people, um, and got a real chance to be immersed in the breed. And then I came back and 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 tried to put a lot of what I'd learned into practice. And uh, and so that's what I did. I I I started AI more. We we started to look at some of the bulls that might be available. Um, we, we kept growing the herd bit by bit, and, uh, and as time went on, mm-hmm. but it was a slow process. Did you bring embryo? I know you brought semen in from the U.S. Having seen that, did you bring embryos in as well? Um, what happened was in in '95, Doug Huff was dispersing his mature cow herd, and uh, I'd always kind of liked the half cattle. They kind of fitted very well with, um, you know. UK breeding goals, I would say. You know, they're a little bit bigger, a little more muscular, um, a little more growth, uh, more in keeping with what was kind of in demand in the UK. And so I went and through this through the herd, and I, I signed that dispersal sale, and I bought a couple of cows, and I moved them up to Canada to uh, uh, Alter Genetics, and, and the Hamiltons up there took care of them, and. Uh, we flushed them and imported embryos. So we had the first embryo calves in uh, the summer of 97 out of those cows. And um, and then we had a bunch more in the spring of 98. And then that was, of course, the, the year that we dispersed because I had the opportunity to come to the States. We'll go on to that in a second. But I'm going to mention another name, another guest that's been on this podcast in the past. Of course, is John Elliott. And I think you'd have worked with John a little mm-hmm. bit too. He was certainly a big, still is a big fan of the Hoff cattle uh, back then and probably would have got some from that same sale. Uh, he didn't buy any from that sale. He he went over subsequently. He bought um, some of them. Uh, you might almost say secondhand because he bought them from uh, the Lagrand Roth dispersal and and out of their sale. And they bought a lot of those half cattle uh, in the in the late nineties. Um, and and he'd also uh, been able to get some uh, half western semen into Canada uh, for Orrin Hart to flush a cow. Uh, that made transformer, um, you know. So, uh, but yeah, we had a we had a herd bull at the end from from John that bred extremely well. It was another one that um, uh, kind of got lost in the whole um, foot and mouth debacle, unfortunately. Um, uh, 
but yeah, uh, John John's herd at that time was was uh, I thought phenomenal. They had good udders. Um, they had an appropriate amount of you know growth of muscle. Um, they, they were, to my mind, Angus type, and uh, uh, and and they worked very well with what we what we'd established. And let's go on to your sale. I think it was, was it 1998, your dispersal sale? Very successful sale. Some, That's right. Some high-profile cattle, some record prices, I think. Yeah, 26th of September, 1998. It, it, it seems, well, 25 years ago. Um, you know, we the embryo cows we had born that spring were really pretty good. I mean, they they, they were what I, what I expected and wanted them to be. Um, you know, if I have any regret at all for leaving, it, it's having left those cattle behind at a point where they probably could have gone on and done a, a lot for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had, uh, obviously the Fortivia calf, uh, went to, uh, David Ismail and, and Carolyn Fletcher, uh, for 6,500, which was a record for a calf at that time. Um. I think we had the highest averaging dispersal since the whole uh, shutdown from BSE in '96. Um, it, it was a it, it was a very good sale. Uh, John Elliott got a bull calf out of there. I think they bred pretty well for him, um, and and I think a lot of the cattle had success. In fact, it was a funny thing. I was over in 2012 at the Highland Show, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, um, but he, he looked me out at the Angus um, caravan there. And or tent and uh, and was telling me that he still had a, a cow in his herd that uh, he'd bought in the dispersal. Well, she would have been yeah. know, 14 at that point, 15. Yeah. I think she was probably a year and a half when he bought her. And so um, you had, it, that, that kind of validates what a, kind of what I felt I was doing yeah. towards building for the future. The longevity of them. And you had a, a, a new buyer, I think, there was a Dr. James Irvin, who was a, was a GP, yes. I think. And uh, he came and spent a bit of money, too. He did, yeah. Uh, he he came and looked at the cattle um, uh, ahead of time, and um, he really got stuck in it. And he bought a lot of good ones, um, some uh, some stuff of, of Rawburn breeding, uh, uh, some from from Blairlight breeding, some obviously of her own, and, and imported embryos. Um, and I think he had reasonable success with them. I, I don't know that they they went on and and did what they might have done in the hands of you know. A, someone who was already in the breed um but i'm very gratefully showed up <laughs> you know he it, it really you know it, it sold well but even the commercial cattle that we sold sold very well that day i mean we we were selling commercial pairs for you know very good money at the time i mean they were you know it, it kind of set us up for when we came to the states because that's all i had to sell i didn't have any property to sell we had our cattle and a little bit of machinery and that you know, everything must go. Okay. And, <laughs> so. and let's, so let's just go to your decision to move to the States. As I said, it was 1998. Did you go there with a job? I don't think you went there with your wife, did you not? Did you go there with a job? That's right. Uh, what it was, was a, it was like a managing partnership. And, and the plan was over the course of about five to eight years is to buy out an existing herd um, with all the cattle and then, and then buy up the land in addition to that. And while we were overlooking at the herd uh, on a couple of occasions, there was a, a, a neighboring farm about 80 acres with a house and some barns that was for sale. And so my wife and I did a, a deal to buy that property 
uh, alongside going into the partnership, which we bought into. Okay. And so, um, so we did all that, and, and we moved over in the fall of '98. Um, and our son was with us at the time; he was 18 months old. And um, and my wife got a work a job working in in Rochester at, at, in medical research, uh, and uh, and so we had health insurance, which was a good thing. And then um, we. Uh, we, we went on from there. And unfortunately, the partnership didn't work out so well. Um, a friend of mine uh, who I actually had met at the Huff Dispersal uh, said, oh, there's two types of ship that sink, leaky ships and partnerships. And so, so I said, well, yeah, um, I'm going to avoid that kind of deal of the future. Um, but if I look at it back now, you know, over the, the course of time, it worked out fine. It allowed us to reestablish our Tully Fergus herd. And then also over time, we've gone back to grazing all that property that we had originally with the partnership. Okay. Um, just just step on that herd a little bit. I mean, you said to reestablish the herd. That did you, did you, with the partnership where the Angus cattle that you went to, is it a pure Angus herd? Oh, yes. To, yeah. yeah. That, that's absolutely what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I wanted to come and, and raise Angus cattle in the States. That's, that was my, you know, objective. And, um, and so they had a herd of, of bloodlines that I was somewhat familiar with, um, and and the cow type was a, a kind of type that I was looking for. You know, there's a lot of travelers, Ritos, Scotch Gaps, some Pine Drives, some uh, uh, Shearer Shone. So there was a there was a lot of the the popular bulls of the 80s and, and early 90s. Uh, so a little bit of EXT was starting to come in there, to, which is a great tool to fix others and things like that which you know some of them weren't great a lot of them were good but some of them weren't great and they needed a bull like exg to tidy them up um but there was really some uh, some very good cow cows and when we came out of the partnership and and re-established our herd it was done with a core of about 25 or 30 cows from that herd okay uh, so and that's a, that was our building block a so. good herd there and, and your partner was it was a good a good breeder as well by the sound of it and uh, you know, it, it sort of Obviously, yeah, that's why you, that's they've why been in, in business a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, they've been in business a long, long time. I mean, upstate New York is not where I thought of when I was thinking, you know, if we got the opportunity to come to the States, we would take it. Um, but again, over time, I mean, we've built it. That's fine. So let's move on. Yeah. And you, you, the, the Telly Fergus herd now been going 20 odd years. And, and uh, what sort of numbers are you up to and, 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 and what you do? With right. Uh, we're one way or another, we're, we're probably having about oh, 80 to 100 calves a year yep. dropping on the ground. Some of those are embryo calves. They're out of a, a commercial herd that we've worked with since early on. Um, 80 to 100 calves a year, yeah. And and some of those are fall born and some are spring. Um, we uh, uh, balance them about probably 75% spring calving and, and 25% fall. And uh, uh, we're actually going to cut our numbers just a little bit because we're losing some grazing this year um but it's actually coming a good time the market's up pretty well and we we're uh, we're going to reduce down a little bit and then then we're going to rebuild from there again um probably with a few more embryo calves and also with um a couple more breeds we've had charlets for a couple of years 
uh, and we've, we've just added Harfords again, so we're we're kind of getting a, a few of those going, just just in addition to the Angus. Okay, and and where you have an on-farm sale, I know, or you do you have an annual sale, should I say, whether it's on-farm, and is that bulls that you're selling there, um, young yeah. bulls? Or, yeah, okay. Mostly, yeah, mostly that's a female sale. Um, most of our bulls we sell private treaty, um, and we usually start selling the bulls for next year um, in the fall of the preceding year. Uh, and we winter everything. We 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 sell them for a you know developed, ready to go, delivered price. You know the next spring. And most of our customers don't want to see the bull until they're at the end of May, beginning of June. You know about a three weeks to a month before they they put him out to work. Sure. And uh, so we we sell most of the bulls private treaty, and we've pretty well uh, established a market for those. Uh, you know, every year and, and, and count on selling, you know, um, at least. And, and is, yeah. Are these guys buying on EPDs as well? A lot of these guys buying, will they be buying blind on, on, on EPDs on, on reputation or, or <laughs> they come and see you? Um, new customers often, uh, you know, are, are using EPDs as a guide, but fundamentally the, the, the number one selection criteria is disposition. Most people, they're getting older. Uh, they they don't want to be chased by cows. They don't want to have cattle that are nervous or flighty. They don't want cows that are aggressive. Um, you know, they don't want bulls that are going to be uh, hunting for them or, or or creating a problem. And so, the number one criteria is they've got to be quiet. They've got to have good disposition. And you know, disposition is highly heritable in all species. Um, you know, it, it it's it's a very simple thing to select for. It's a very uh, simple thing to uh, to address, and it's something that we've always been very cognizant of. It's something that I think is uh, of, of importance. Just no one wants to work flighty or aggressive cattle. Nobody, In- you know, if, if you can't get help when they're like that. Sure. So the easiest thing to do is to call them, In- you know, and just keep the ones that can do the job. Interesting though. So does that, some of that get, is that being taken into account in the EPDs? I mean, should it be? It, it, it is. I mean, there is a just docility trait in the, in the EPD profile. The problem I have with it is that what it measures is the exit rate of an animal from, from the chute. So you put it in the chute or the crush, as you call it, um, and you measure, you know, its attitude in there. You know, is it is it sprinting from the chute? Does it walk out? Uh, is it looking to kill someone when it gets out of there? So there's a bunch of, like, subjective codes that you can apply to the animal to measure docility at that point. And that's all well and good, but the time that it really counts in terms of docility is how are they when they have a calf? Because I want to go in there, I want to tag that calf, I want to weigh it. We give them a shot of a BOCI, which is um, a selenium supplement because we're, we're highly selenium deficient. And so we uh, we give them a shot of that, you know, soon after birth. We like to see the calf, you know, up on its feet and nursed, and then we'll go in and tag it and weigh it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and sometimes if it doesn't get up very quickly, one of the reasons is selenium deficiency. Um, because we've, again, we've always selected for for a high level of calf vigor. I don't want big dopey calves that are going to lie there for half an hour with a tongue up the nose wondering what they're going to do. Um, we need them to get up and nurse because 
calving in January, February, March over here, it can be a little chilly, you know, so you want them to get up and get after it. Sure. And so that isn't measured on the EPDs, um, but you can show a measure in herd and you can, you can fix a problem by just tolerating bad disposition. And we don't, okay. I mean, um, you know, yes, in certain situations, uh, out west, you, you want a cow that's got a little aggression when the calf's born because she might have to fight off a coyote or a bear or something, and and there's a reason for that. But if my cows can't tell the difference between me and a coyote, she's going to grow wheels and go. So <laughs> excellent, I like that that, that expression. It's brilliant. And to say you've been there a while now, U.S. citizen, obviously, and, and um, president of the, yep. the New York Angus Association. Is that right? Is it, you've been involved certainly in the New York. I, I've been there, yeah. I, I, I served as president uh, and vice president. I also served as the secretary treasurer for about four or five years. Um, I was always pretty involved with the, with the state association. I'm still involved as a director. Um, you know, I was a delegate for our association to the, the convention for a few years in uh, the national association. And um, so I've always been pretty involved with it and, uh, and still am today. Okay. Um, I think, uh, you know, a strong association is a, you know, a valuable thing for a breeder. Putting a bit back into it as well, which is great. And, and uh, uh, the shows, we haven't really mentioned the shows, but I know you're keen on showing. I see you on, on social media all the time turning out the shows. And you've just been at Louisville this week, of course. So uh, tell us a bit more about your, your showing career. Right. Well, um, I didn't really show much in Britain. And, and to be honest, it's one of the things that I, I, I as I look, at Britain, even today, and with with you know the the YDP program and that, it was one of the primary motivators to bring me to the states. Because when I came over in '89, I um, I was the, the thing that really got me was was the National Junior Angus Association, um, and I I traveled with the family to the uh, the Junior Heifer Show in Louisville that summer, and it was such a phenomenal experience. And you had probably fifteen hundred. Um, Angus juniors from all across the country showing cattle kids from at that time it was 10 years old to 21 showing cattle and and then their their national junior Angus board um, the green jackets I, I, I was just blown away with the, the confidence and the maturity and their ability of, of these kids to not just show cattle but to run a show manage it uh, all the other stuff they did speech competitions cooking competitions there was a whole raft of things and i kind of resolved in my own mind that if i ever had the opportunity to come to the states and give my kids the opportunity to participate in something like that that i would do it and uh all my kids showed cattle um uh to a certain level the youngest one evie uh, is just fanatical about it she loves it she's good at it she's really uh, an ex extremely good show and she's she's certainly one of the best eight or ten on the east coast right. i mean she's really a, a phenomenally good shower and and but she also knows how to hold the break cattle how to take care of them how to feed them how to fit them um and and it's also and that give, given her a massive amount of confidence you know in her regular life in school life in all those things um when she goes to college here in another year um, she's got friends across the country that she can um, call on, talk to, interact with. Um, I, I feel like that's, you know, 
that's the opportunity. I love showing cattle. Um, we, I, we didn't do much in Scotland. I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't feel like I got a lot of encouragement to. When I came here, it was different. I, I think it's a different mindset. It's a different attitude. Um, and, and I think it's something that the UK need to look at because I think they're also missing a good marketing opportunity by not really developing the youth side of things um, okay. more extensively, more in depth. I, I, I really feel like that's something that's, that's missing a little bit. And we've had a couple of kids over, come over um, from Scotland. Yeah, Gemma, didn't you? Um, Gemma. Yeah, she's good, that's right. Good last three able. She's with. Yeah, yeah. And she, you know, we when she first came here, we, you know, we were like, well, you know, let's see what you can do. You know, here's a heifer that's, that's broke. Let, just go ahead and, and, you know, set her up. And uh, so she took a show ship stick underneath her arm like an umbrella. That's. <laughs> said oh whoa whoa stop right there that's the last thing we're going to do with a show stick is stick it under our arm it's not an umbrella you know you carry it in your hand and you carry it out in front of you where you can see the point of it and you're not going to hook something and and all those things like walking the animal up into its setup getting it set um you know when we're, we're not magicians we're not trying to try and saw it in half with a show stick the show stick's there for a purpose um there's a lot of things that you know that we 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 taught and and learned and and were able to pass on and and so I I, I feel that that's something that you know really has to um, really has to evolve a little bit in the UK. I, it, you know I, I'm probably going to get some flack for it, but I, I got to say it. I'm, yeah. I, I, I my you know what, you can say what do I know, but uh, we we've had you know. 20 odd years here of 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 competing against you know the absolute best and you know you can't do anything but learn from and there's the purpose and a reason for all of it and so and that's what you know that's why we show cattle i mean we're not we're not necessarily raising cattle or raising kids and and that's what we're trying to do is instill in them a, an optimism about agriculture that it's worth participating in it's worth staying in um, and if I could mention a little more on Gemma, if I may, I'd just like to say, you know, I mean, when she finished the first summer here, you know, we gave her the opportunity if she wanted to to take some embryos and 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 restart the Tolly Fergus herd. We signed over the name, um, you know, and and said if you if you know if she wanted to do it, and um, and she has, she's doing a phenomenal job. She's developing. A, a, a real quality herd. We were able to swing by there in February when we were over uh, very briefly and um, and and take a look at what she's doing there. She's doing a phenomenal job. And I mean, obviously, I like the cattle because they're our cattle. <laughs> they look like I, I think Angus should look. Um, so I'm I'm biased, obviously, but she's doing a really good job and in, uh, uh, in developing a, a first class herd there. And uh, I think the the type and the traits and the and the things that are built into those cattle, um, I think, are going to prove pretty valuable to UK breeders down the line. Um, you know, when eventually the ridiculous Europe grading system gets canned and 
and, and we start grading cattle based on quality, not quantity. <laughs> but uh, therein hangs a discussion that we could have for an hour or two, and, and uh, especially the difference in the cattle and the difference in the grading, different demand really of the cattle, and, and uh, how different are we, would the cattle be, the ones that Gemma's got there, how different would they be to the other angus around them? Um, I, I think significantly. Um, I think the, the first thing is that, you know, um, the overall type of the cattle, they're going to have more guts to them. Um, they're, they're probably going to have less muscle. Um, they're going to have better udders, better teeth quality. They're going to have very functional feet and legs where you don't require the services of a hoof trimmer. Um, they're going to be long, long lived cattle. They're going to be fertile cattle. Now, obviously, there's still some variation in there. Um, you know, the, the, we all get open cows. Um, we all get the cows that don't live till they're 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, you know, d different management things might kick in and, and change things. Uh, I think they're going to be uh, cattle that will thrive on a, on a true forage system. Um, you know, you're not going to have to feed silage to get them in good flesh. You're not going to have to winter them inside if you've got a facility where you can winter outside and they're not going to punch the ground up. Um, they're going to they're going to handle that. They're going to have very good maternal instinct. They're going to uh, calf's going to want to get up and go and 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 they're going to see that very quickly. Um, and and from early observations of those cattle that have come, that's that's what I'm hearing is. You know these calves just about grab the teat on the way out. You know they're 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 up that quick, um, and and birth weights I suspect will be on the lower end. Um, you know typically most of our birth weights here run between seventy and ninety pounds. So what's that in your money? Probably um, like thirty-one to forty kilos, maybe on the upper end. Um, I suspect a lot of these higher growth, higher muscle angus today in the UK are probably running more like 40 to 50 than 30 to 40. Okay. 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 We'll move on from that. You mentioned the shows that I just said that you've been at Louisville, hey, a long drive down to Louisville from, from where you are there yeah. in, in, in New York. And uh, Louisville now, of course, is the international that used to be in Chicago. Did you ever go to Chicago? Were you ever at Chicago? Correct. Chicago international? No, 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 that was way before our time. I think they finished there in 70s. Two or seventy-three, uh, I think actually it must have been the first show was seventy-four in Louisville because this year was the fiftieth show. Okay. So, right. um, a tremendous yeah. show by all accounts. You know, it's one of the biggest in the, oh, yeah. the biggest in the US, one of the biggest in the world, I suppose. And sort of, what were, yes. you, what were you showing there? And what were you doing there? Well, we had a, a, a March-born Angus heifer calf. Actually, it's one that we bought um, in September for Evie to show for the next year, and. Uh, um, she was, I think, she was fourth out of ten in the in the junior show, and and I think fourth out of eight in the in the open show. Um, so you know, it, it, it's a it's elite. I mean, you get to the top end of these bigger shows, the, these super ROV shows, um, the very top end. You know, the, the top most any animal in any class would would win their county fair. Most, most of the top four or five in every class could probably be in the hunt or win their state fair. The top one or two 
are in the hunt to win a regional show, like an Eastern regional or a, or, or a major, like a, a Keystone International or something like that, one of the next level down shows, the, the very elite, you know, there's not that many of them. Um, but there's a lot of people do it. And, and, you know, most of us go to the show not expecting to win our class, not expecting to win our division, not expecting to win the show. I'm gonna, That's not why we're there. I'm going to be a bit controversial here now, as I like to do from time to time, wind people up. Uh, Dr. Bob, my good friend, and you'll know Dr. Bob Hook, um, mm-hmm. Bob says that uh, the, the showing cattle is a kiss of death for you, for your herd. Once you start going down that show show route there, you've got a, you're breeding a different type of beast for the show that you are, that maybe for your commercial market. Is, is there any, any substance in that? I, not necessarily. I, I think there's a lot of the the top show sires today, the bulls that will you'll see cropping up, like in the Angus, particularly um, bulls like Colony Express, um, uh, Primo. Uh, there, there's three or four bulls that have signed a lot of of show winners over the last few years. The thing that will that will hurt them most is that on average they are very high birth weight EPD for Angus bulls and very moderate growth with the Angus bulls of today. And so from a commercial guy just looking at them saying, do I want to use that in my herd? There's too much birth weight for not enough enough growth in a lot of those cattle on paper. Now, in practice can be different. Um, And there's definitely a a type that that has emerged as being dominant in the show ring, but it's not an unpractical type. It's not a it's not a bad functional type. Uh, there, there's some characteristics that you want to be sure not to get too out of whack, like a high tail head or things like that. But functionally, you know, the biggest knock on most of those show heifers is that they get too fat too soon. That That's the biggest thing that will impact their future productivity, that laying down a fat in the, in the mammary system, um, fat in the pelvic region, you know, there, there's things that will contribute to being a, a potentially a hard carving as a heifer, which ultimately is the kind of thing that drops a cow to the herd faster than anything. A, cat, a two-year-old heifer having a first calf that has a torrid time probably isn't going to stick around because she might not get bred back. She might not get bred back to the late. She might not even have a live calf, and then in which case she's done. So, so there's other there's other factors that come into it. I, I think um, there are some show type bulls that that do have a a more appealing EPD profile that might get wider use, but the semen might be priced in such a way that it it discourages that. Okay. Yeah, you know, that's true. That's true. And, and you we'll, know, we'll, we'll go on to. Uh, um, one subject here we just lost this last week as, as a man that you all well know is Dave Nichols there, and I'm sure you've known you know mm-hmm. Dave, probably one of the maybe one of the greatest Angus breeders that, that, that's been certainly of his generation there, and uh, and a big loss as a man that you knew. I did know Dave. Um, I, actually, when I ran for the Angus board in, in 2014, he was also a candidate then, um, and I got to know him quite a bit over the over the last I know ten or a dozen years or so. Um, a man had just a tremendous amount of time for he he was a thinker i mean he was also a master marketer and so you know you can't uh, you know overlook that fact
he, he's he's been marketing uh, Bulls Private 3D for a long, long time, very, very, very successfully. Um, he's probably one of the the most dominant performance herds that doesn't have an annual bull sale, you know, in turn, like a conventional bull sale. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that operation now. I don't know what the succession was or, or who's going to take that over. Um, but the, the Nichols cattle have certainly been been valuable. They've probably not been as dominant um, here in the last 20, 30 years as they were in probably the 80s and early 90s where the type change was coming from from the large frame cattle to the more moderate frame cattle. Um, and, and in terms of their genetic profile, they were muscle cattle, but maybe not so much on the marbling side. And that's probably uh, been something that's maybe uh, tamped down their, their usefulness to, to, to a lot of people. Um, but we use Nichols Extra. In fact, Gemma has a, um, a couple of Nichols Extra daughters in her herd. Um, and, and, you know, and they're good functional cows. I mean, um, but yeah, Dave, Dave was, was a great man. Um, and a great Angus breeder. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big loss. No, sadly missed. And I lost to the industry, as you said, a man who's put a, who's put a lot into it. Uh, well, yeah. Robert, I appreciate your time. I didn't say the upset of this, but you're out there. You said the first frost of the season out there. So you're out there now gathering, <laughs> gathering, gathering corn. And- yeah, we, uh, we last couple of days and, uh, uh, we were combining corn today. We were, hopefully we'll get, get, uh, maybe uh, two thirds of it done by the end of today. Um, and then, uh, uh, then we'll get some corn stalks bailed up for, for bedding in the winter and, um, starting to get, you know, the grazing season wound down. We've got maybe two or three more weeks of grazing left. And then, and then, then we'll be getting cattle, you know, gathered up a little bit for, uh, the winter quarters. The calves are already on feed for, you know, next year's replacement heifers and the, uh, and the, the young bulls are all, all in a pen, so uh, a separate pens, obviously. And so, um, so they're all uh, all getting there, and uh, we just got to deal with the cows. Then we've got a few cut fall calves left to calve, and um, we're actually got, with the rationalisation of the herd a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna shift everything to spring calving for next year. So, okay. so these fall calves this year, we're gonna um, let them slide through. There's a couple in there I want to flush anyway, so. We'll flush them probably January, February, and then then breed them back for January calves in you know late March, early April. Um, okay, uh, and, and, uh, and I gather you had an injury earlier on this year. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm an idiot. Um, I, I I cut my hand up with a saw badly. Um, it's healing and it's getting back towards use again. It's taken a while, but um, just when you think you know. You're, you're pushing on and making progress, you know, um, I did something stupid and, and now I'm paying the price. But, um, uh, thankfully I got, I got good neighbors and good help and good friends. And, um, we've been able to, to get most everything we needed to accomplish done, um, to get ready for winter. And, um, I'm back running a tractor again now, so I can, I can do what I need to do there. And, um, it's not ideal, but it, it's, it's not the end of the world. Okay. So good, good. And your show season now is that over? There's still Denver to go yet. I guess do you get across there. Well, we we won't do Denver. Um, actually, my folks emigrated to New Zealand in 2014 and retired out there. And so 
my wife and I are going over for um, Christmas in uh, in New Zealand. Um, so we won't do Denver. I, I've got a half a mind to maybe put together a Penables for Denver in 2025. Um, we've got some calves coming this spring that um, should be pretty interesting and might might work for something like that. So um, we'll do that. We, we're going to go to one more jackpot show here in uh, Ohio at the end of uh, November, and then that'll be it till the, probably the end of January, and then we'll start doing probably one show a month through into the summer how far do you travel to the shows i mean what what's the average? i mean it's a massive country people you know people in scotland wouldn't understand but <laughs> yeah you know, a massive how far would you jump in a motor to, to to head off to a, to a show well uh we went to angus junior nationals last summer in grand island nebraska and that's about a 22 23 hour drive from here um about oh probably i think it's around 1300 miles something like that um and that's probably the farthest we've been. We've done that a couple of times. We went to Brookings, South Dakota uh, in 2020 to the Charlotte Nationals out there. And we actually drove all the way across to Western South Dakota to uh, to Mount Rushmore. We headed out a few days early and stalled the cattle up at a friend uh, out there at Mount Rushmore Angus and uh, went to do some sightseeing and then, and then came back to the show in Brookings. And I think we put on... I know three or four thousand miles that week, uh, ten days. Um, most of the shows we'll go to are within about a five-hour drive, five and a half-hour drive, um, and it, it's it, it's easy driving. I mean, you know, you and and you know, here we have these gooseneck trails. You know, the hitches in the bed of the truck, and um, you load up and and get on the road, and and you don't know it's there. I mean, you can go along 75, 80 miles an hour, and you know, um, it's 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 pretty easy driving. No, well, I think it's, you know, it's a brilliant effort. As I said, it's a bigger country. I know I was at the Stars of the Future show this this last week and, and uh, in Scotland, and there were you know, people come up from Devon and what have you would take that same amount of time. But generally, you know, for you, five hours is yeah. five hours is just down the road. But for us, that's a, that's a day that's a day's work. Getting there. So, uh, so it's, uh, well, you know, in, in five hours I can drive basically three hundred and fifty miles. So, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. You'd be hard pushed to do that anywhere in Britain, I think, just because of the the roads and the congestion and the absolutely, you know, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, uh, Robert. So we've been just nice to to hear your story there, out there, and, and uh, wish you the best for the rest of your show season and, and getting the cattle in. And uh, no, it, it, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, I, I appreciate the time and the chance to talk. Um, I say I wish all my friends back in the UK. Uh, um, Happy uh, Christmas season coming up and, uh, and, and prosperity and success. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, some point down the road, we'll get back to the UK again and maybe get a chance to see one or two folks again. Okay. <laughs> so. I'm certainly looking forward to catching up with you when you're over as well yourself. So no, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you, Robert. Thanks for your time. Thank you, uh, Andy. Appreciate it and uh, all the best. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as our guest Robert there mentioned, we are about to go into winter. So if you're thinking about what to feed this winter, then uh, why not get in touch with Harbro? Harbro kindly partner up with us on this podcast. And of course, they have a range of compound feeds and protein concentrates and mineral packs that all contain Rumitech. And 
Rheumatech time and time again helps increase live weight gain and improve feed conversion. So uh, get a look at that there. And these together will help reduce your cost per kilo. So uh, get in touch with Harbour there for their winter prices. They've probably got special prices on this time there. Have a chat to your local representative or, or look them out on the internet. And uh, um, we'd like to thank Harbour for their continued support with our podcast. And while you're there on the internet, don't forget to go and look at our Facebook page and also uh, click the follow button on uh, on wherever you listen to your podcast there because that helps us get a little bit more recognition over there with the podcast. So, so thanks again to all your listeners out there.